We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast, and... For regular listeners, you'd be aware that we normally talk about religion, politics, what's going on in the world, and we try and explain it, look at the long-term ramifications. There's normally a panel of us talking about the week's events, but we've got a special episode for you on this occasion. There's four of us in the studio. We've got cords going everywhere. Uh, with me uh, on this occasion is Brother Glove. How are you, Brother Glove? <laughs> I'm very well, thanks, Brother Fist. How are you? I'm well. Also with me is Brother Man. Good evening, brothers. And joining us for the first time, Brother Joseph. Thank you very much, Brother Fist. <laughs> <laughs> you might be wondering, what's with all the brother business? Well, Brother Joseph is a patron of the show, uh, a correspondent with us, and an ex-Mormon. And Brother Joseph is going to let us know what it was like to enter the Mormon faith and to exit the Mormon faith and to be in the middle of it along the way. So really looking forward to <laughs> Brother Joseph's explanation. So um, we're coming into this pretty cold. We haven't really discussed much background or whatever, but um, Brother Joseph, let's just start off. You, I, I take it you were not born into the Mormon faith. You're a, regular, a more regular upbringing? Yes, I was Church of England brought up. Um, tried a few different versions of the church and uh, became a Mormon through my uh, fiancé, who had been a lifelong Mormon mm -hmm. and uh, kind of got sucked in at that stage because it was a really easy move to make. So you were in Australia at the time? Yes. Right. And yeah. that was in the early 70s. And was she American or Australian? No, Australian. Okay, so it was... There have been several thousand, you know, um, Australian Mormons. Yep. In the early days, Mormons were encouraged to leave their country and actually travel to Salt Lake. Yep. That stopped in about the middle of the 20th century, and they were then encouraged to stay where they were and build a church in those areas. So, so your fiancé at the time, her, her family had been Mormons for a long time in Australia, like time. her grandparents? Yeah, or? yeah. Before, her, um, before she was born was when the, her parents joined the church. Right, okay. So you met her and the deal was if we're going to get hitched... Well, you, you don't you know. become a Mormon half. Mm. You either A Mormon either marries a Mormon or they just move on to the next hopeful Mormon. Right. Because... Yeah. Being married to a non-member is like in the America, you know, marrying someone of a different colour. Yeah. There's, there's no commonality. Your vision of life is quite different. Yep, yep. I, I know here in the Gap uh, there's a small community of Christadelphians and they need to find other Christadelphians to marry and mm. it's pretty tough to find a, a, a partner when the, the there's not that many of them. So, Well, mm. looking... The real reason is the basis of why do you get married. Mm. Now, most marriage ceremonies say that you are married until death do you part. Mormons don't do that. 
Mormons are married for time and all eternity. Mm. That's part of the deal. Mm. That's temples, all that sort of stuff. So that's why they won't marry somebody for just this life because that restricts them in the next life. Yes, yep. So um, it was the case that you'd have to get join the Mormon faith before getting married then? Did you have to go through oh, a certain yes. right? So yeah. what was involved in that? Well, the the church has these guys called missionaries. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen them everywhere, white shirts, little black badge on their left breast, mm-hmm. and they go around preaching the gospel to people like me in those days, and they give you a set of lessons called discussions. And then they talk about Joseph Smith and the purpose of life and how happy families come along. And it's just the most wonderful time because they're your best friends and their job is to baptise you. Yep. Once they get the feeling that you don't want to be baptised, you'll never see them again. Okay, but you were, you were um, a great option. I was easy meat. Yes, they knew that they had yep. a, a real I was willing one. to be coerced into anything at that stage. That's what young love does to you. Mm. How, how old were you at the time? 21. Right, yep. So uh, so how long was that process, did that take before you could you become? About six months. And this was, do they baptise with water? And yes, uh, Mormons believe in full immersion. So in every chapel meeting house, mm-hmm. there's a little swimming pool in a room. Mm-hmm. It's about six foot deep, about 12 by 12. They fill it up with water. Everybody, the, the, the two people being baptised, um, the baptizer and the baptisee, yep. get into the water wearing white clothes and you go right under. If you don't go right under, mm-hmm. they have to do it again. Right. And I've seen that happen a number of times where the the person doing the baptising doesn't push them down far enough. Right. So they have to do it again. Right. Yep, yep. It's, so- it's a very sacred rite. But it can be pretty funny when things go wrong. Yeah. Like you can get a person with their head down and their feet come up. So you've, that doesn't count. Oh, God. God, God, so won't, they, God won't recognise so if the feet come up. You've got to be completely immersed. <laughs> Absolutely. Every part of your body must be under the water. Under the so. water completely. That's really bizarre, isn't it? Isn't six foot a little deep? I mean, it sounds a little bit unsafe. Well, the water is filled up to a level that both people of the oh, particular okay. height are comfortable yeah, with. So we can baptise really tall people right. or we just don't put so much water in when they're little. Like mm. uh, the Mormons baptise from the age of eight. Yeah. So an eight-year-old has to be able to stand in there with their shoulders sticking out of the water. So it's a very a, scientific thing. They have a term for that, don't they? The age of, um, what is it, responsibility? Accountability. Accountability, that's right. Yeah, the Mormons believe that a child under the age of eight isn't responsible for their sins. So if they were to pass away before the age of eight, um, they go straight to the highest heaven. How many heavens are there? We'll, we'll get to At that. At least three. Yeah, yes. we'll, we'll get to the theology in a moment, but I'm just want, let's get your story first. Okay. So over the six months, were you convinced about it? Did they actually... Well, you're surrounded by people that yeah. are. Yes. And unfortunately, this is well before the internet. Mm. So your ability to research contrary views was pretty restrictive. And the, all the books they give you, funnily enough, are published by the church for church purposes. Mm. And the Mormons have a scheme of information that is without peer. It's called correlation. Everything they 
print and publish and talk about is part of a consistent whole so that their theories, their doctrines, the teachings every Sunday are completely correlated with each other. Meaning there's no inconsistencies. That's right. right. So when you investigate it, it all sounds very logical because they've they basically workshopped this for years. Right. Um, yeah. The original story of the church is quite different to the stories now. Yes. But when you join in the 70s, you've got no idea what's been before. Very little church history published. And so I noticed the changes that have come in since. And so when I studied the church, I used church books, church reference materials, and lovely people that surrounded me that all believed this mm. completely. So I did too. Mm. Yeah. Um, I had a question on the tip of my tongue on that score, and it's just eluding me at the Well, moment. that's pretty much how a cult mm. works, is mm. that they control the flow of information to the adherents. And if you want to teach a different lesson or add your own spark to it, the correlation within the church just hunts you down and stops you. So um, this correlation sounds to me like 1984 because in that book, the guy's job was to rewrite history all the time. You know, at one stage yeah. they'd be fighting the Eurasians yeah. and then they'd be fighting the East Asians. That's right. And as it swapped, they would have to manically go through all of their old newspapers and documents and, mm. and readjust things mm. so that anybody looking at the history, um, would have thought they were always fighting that group or, or, or this certain That's fact right. was always the case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very 1984-ish in that. Well, that's sort of, exactly how yeah. the church has progressed since the early 70s when I joined. When I first joined, they taught us that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon from golden plates. And there were pictures of him looking at the golden plates and somebody sitting behind a, a screen writing down what he was saying. Mm. The history is a little different. In fact, he used a thing called a seer stone, which when I first joined the church, we thought was some sort of like giant diamond. But in fact, you can now see a picture of it if you Google seer stone. Uh, it's just a brown stone with stripes. It's a smooth rock. Mm. It's obviously been in a water course at some stage. And Joseph originally found that before he became a prophet of the, the Lord. And he used to use that for his treasure digging. Mm. So he would go around, I think if you explained in previous episodes, he would get people to pay him to go and find treasure. And of course he couldn't find the treasure. And sometimes his excuse would be, well, there was treasure there, but you don't have faith in me. So the angel moved it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The way he translated the Book of Mormon was he would place that brown stone inside a hat and he would then put his face into the hat and recite words that other people would translate. Yeah. The plates were never there when he did that. Mm -hmm. So all these pictures we had of him looking at the plates and, and going through them were actually not what the church's history said. Mm -hmm. So that story's changed. Mm -hmm. There's also a story about him having a first vision and it was Jesus and the Heavenly Father coming to see him. Well, that story, there's at least four different stories or versions of that story that are known to exist in his handwriting and in others' handwriting. And now the church is saying, well, there are different versions. But when I joined the church, there was one version and that was it. 
So with the limited amount of material that we had because of correlation, it's a very easy thing to go along with because that's what they say, that's what everybody else believes. There you go. But at the same time, the Mormons are great record keepers. Yes. So, so while they've got this correlation, well, they've this, still this stored... Stone, this mm. seer stone is in mm. the church's possession. Mm. But they didn't tell anybody until about a few years ago. Mm. Yep. It was not a matter of public record. Why? Now, now they've had to say, well, actually, we've got the stone. Why would they want to keep it secret? Because it looks bloody silly. Okay. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's it's, it, it, is it looks bloody silly. It's yeah, a I understand stone in the hat that you yeah. used to translate the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. even when the plates were not there. No one's ever actually seen the plates. Mm. The account that I read was that he was actually um, charged with fraud by the son of one of the farmers who in, in, uh, engaged him to find treasure on his property. Yes, well, using the seer stone in the hat, as you described. That's right, because that was an illegal thing to do. Uh. Um, and those times in America, they were very interested in things like treasure digging and mm. spiritualism and mystic things and what the Indians were up to and where the Indians came from, all very interesting things to them. Mm. So the family's original business was this treasure digging, mm. but the law made it impossible for them to carry on. Mm. So what else could you use a nice handy rock for? Mm. Well, you can't be arrested for having the wrong church or the wrong religion. So it seemed a natural change Mm. um, in that time. And America would have been the perfect place to create a new religion because, of course, they were founded on the idea of religious liberty, uh, you know, having escaped uh, persecution in uh, Europe. Exactly. Mm. Uh, Very religious people, even today, their um, their church numbers are high. Uh, They're very... Strange religions seem to just emanate from there, and Mormonism is one of them. Mm. Back to your personal story. So uh, you're, you've you've been baptised, and uh, can I ask what? Uh, well, and you're living in a city in, in Australia. Yes. What What's the day to day life of a Mormon like? Well, the weekly life. What's involved in terms of uh, you know getting together with with the other Mormons and and whether you're allowed to. Mix with other people outside the faith? Are you a bit like the Jehovah's Witnesses sort of supposed to? Well, we still have to go to work and make Mm. a living. Mm. We still have to, you know, work within the the confines of any society. But you don't have a lot of spare time. One of the great things about cults is that they keep you very busy because if you're busy, you can't question. You don't sort of think too much. We'll tell you what to think. Rest of the time, we'll just keep you busy. So, so weeknights or, or just week, weekends more? In those days, Mormons were responsible to do some home teaching. Now, home teaching is where you go and visit other members and check out that they're doing okay, making sure there's food in the house. If they've got any questions or problems, you're there to assist them. That'll be at least one night a week. Your kids go to their own activities, so you'll be driving them to and from the chapel, athletic and cultural events. There's dances at least once a month. Right. Um, not not disco dancing, but, yep. you know, respectable dancing with where, respectable clothes. Where young Mormons could meet each other. That's right. Yep. That's the whole idea is Mormons would, would yep. have a social time together and they would then pair off into new Mormon mm. families. Right. Uh, Saturdays you'd be doing a service project at, uh, say, a, a single mum's house, a widow, 
or helping some community group. Uh, in those days, we would raise money by delivering Yellow Pages telephone books as a group. Right. And then that would go into our funds to help build churches and so forth. Sunday, you're pretty busy all day. There's right. A, there's now, or there was until this last week, a three-hour block where you'd attend church for three solid hours. In earlier days, when I first joined the church, they'd make you run to and from the church all day. Right. Have a one-hour meeting, then you go home, come back for another meeting, then go home. And if, as a man, you had a responsible job within the church, then you'd have meetings on the Sunday as well. Right. So by the time Sunday night came, you were knackered, mm. and going to work was kind of a, a change. <laughs> yeah. It was a change. So, so was it like a mass ceremony? Because as, as I, I was brought up as a Catholic, so I, that's my... Idea well, of a ceremony? What, what? We, we, Mormons don't believe in transubstantiation. Right. Oh, That's this, just rubbish. Okay. You know, we, right. we don't go along with that stuff. It is bizarre. You have no, to. I mean, but yeah, there is it, a, it is bizarre, but also as bizarre as looking in a, in a hat with seer stones in it to translate a book that was originally printed on gold plates. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all bizarre. But they, the, they, the, the Even Mormons, the Mormons draw the line at transubstantiation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the sacrament meeting, as it's called, is where it starts off with a prayer and a song then we would um, have uh, some pieces of white bread pulled right. into little pieces and then each person would take a piece of bread and eat it, yep. pass along, and then we'd have a little plastic cup, about a thimbleful of water. Prayers were said over the bread and the water, not to turn it into the flesh and blood, but just yes. to be a remembrance of the sacrifice of our Saviour. Yep. And so we'd drink the water and that would finish. And then we'd have some speeches by some children, young adults, older people, and then it would finish after about an hour. What, what, what sort of speeches would people make about how much well, they again, love? Well, correlation because right. you'd be given a topic to speak to and given resources to study to give uh, that speech. Right. If you started to go off topic and come up with some crazy type of doctrine, you'd be pulled off the stage and spoken to. Right. Right. And once a month, a different service called the fast meeting, where you're expected to come hungry because Mormons fast once a month for two meals. And they, the money they save, they give to the church to help the poor and needy. Mm -hmm. And instead of having talks that are pre-planned, you're invited to come up to the stage and give testimony. Right. And your testimony generally must consist of the church is true Joseph Smith was a prophet, and the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Right. Full stop. So after that, pretty much optional. But if you don't say that, right. like if you were to question it, again, you'd be pulled down from the pulpit and escorted right. outside. So, so people um, often aren't aware that, that Mormons are Christians. So how does Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ rank? In, it, it sounds like... Well, Joseph wrote a passage in the Scriptures, and it says... Apart from Jesus Christ, okay. Joseph Smith has done more for the saving, the saving of men's souls than any other person in history. Right. But, but is there more of an emphasis on Joseph Smith in, in no, Joseph the, isn't than Jesus seen Christ? No, Joseph is as a divine right. person. Right. That's the, that's the job of if, Jesus. If, if I was there on a Sunday and listening to all this, would I hear more about Joseph Smith than Jesus Christ? No. Right. No. Okay. And the current president, last week, decided that we're too Mormon. And he's now said that the church 
must stop calling itself Mormon. He said the, the name yes. of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He even wants to change the name of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's now to be called the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, so they're rebranding at the moment because Mormon is a bit on the nose. The Book of Mormon is obviously a fabrication. So we're, the church is now rebranding away from being Mormon to be more Christian. Right. But don't be fooled. So yeah, what's the, the underlying theories aren't changing, just the naming. What's the place of these sort of what we consider the standard Christian Bible, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament? The Mormon Church uses the King James King Version. King James Version, yes. And, and the language in the Book of Mormon is sort of uh, faux, sort of Old English in a sense, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's designed to sound like the Bible. Yes. In fact, there's whole sections of it that come from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that you know it's really not an original piece is that where those sections are copied, they align with a version of the Bible that's found to be not a good translation, mm. but he's used that verbatim. Mm. Yeah, that was an addition that was around at the time when he yes. was doing it. And, he used and, the, he used the mm. tools that he had at the time. And although many people think that Book of Mormon is a marvellous story and how could a young, you know, American boy have thought of such a thing? It's actually very similar to a number of books that were available in the area mm. during his lifetime. Again, something we weren't told and then, when I first joined the church. Had you heard the hieroglyphics story about him interpreting hieroglyphics? Yeah. yeah. A fella came around in uh, the 1830s to his area and he had, they discovered these mummies <laughs> in Egypt, as, and it was a very uh, uh, marvellous thing to be seeing these thousands of year old um, caskets and, and mummies. And this is pre the Rosetta Stone, don't forget. Mm. The so Rosetta that's... Stone wasn't discovered until later, so nobody in the world could translate hieroglyphics. No one had any idea at all. So Joseph cottoned onto this straight away. This, this was more of his story that he was going to get it along with. So he borrowed money from everywhere he could and bought six mummies and some papyri. <laughs> and he said, he then declared that one of the papyri was something called the Book of Moses and it was written by Moses. These are the words of Moses himself. Mm. And he translated them into something called the Book of Moses. And that is where a lot of their really deep, theology comes from. Mm. He obviously had thought more about his theology, but he didn't have a vehicle to pedal it in because the Book of Mormon was already published. Right. He needed another book. Ah, okay. So he used these scrolls and said, this is the translation of these books. Now, that's what we were told. It was a translation. It wasn't anything else. It was a translation. Well, blow me down, decades later. Hang on a second before you say the, the, and the story that he says in the book of Moses, does that foretell the, the events in America and, and, no. and Joseph Smith? No? no. Okay. Doesn't Mormon fundamental theology is that we had a spirit before we came to this earth. So no one is born instantly. Our no. spirits are ancient mm. and eternal and have come here to be tested. And this life is a test. And if we pass that test, we then move on to another heaven 
where we will live in eternity. So he needed a scripture that would spell that out. Ah, and that's what the book of Moses was right, good for. the previous and future life story. So that's where they differ from Christianity in that most Christian faiths don't talk about a pre-existence. Yep. But Mormons do. Yep. So they believe they're part of an eternal system. Yep. Yep. And that's why being careful and righteous in this life is so important. Right. Because you don't want to bugger that up. So the sake of 70 years here and a million years afterwards. So this, go on, Scott. Um, I was just going to ask, that um, translation of the papyrus, what's the Church of LDS say now about that? Do they? Well, as it turns out, it was actually a funerary text, a very common funerary text from about 100 AD. It was not ancient um, in terms of pre-Christian uh, era. And it's yeah. as common as mud. It's like you would have an order of service at a funeral yeah. um, and you just found and said, oh, this is a diagram to build an atomic bomb. And, and it's the, not. And the reason we know that is because when the, the Rosetta Rose- Stone. The Rosetta oh, Stone. This, is, what, this yeah. is the question I was asking. Was mm. what's, what's the LDS's take on the Book of Moses now, considering that? Well, now it's considered that, unlike a translation, it was like an inspirational text. <laughs> <laughs> Having seen this text and these these hieroglyphs, that Joseph felt inspired to then produce the Book of Moses. Right, yeah. and of course it's not right. And when the when the uh, papyri were translated, um, that's what was found. Now yeah. there's a diagram on the papyri, and Joseph said, "Well, this is God." and this is Jesus being sacrificed, and this is Kolob, and these other mm. things around. And, in fact, uh, Egyptologists know exactly what the diagrams are. They're just a funerary text uh, mm. on a funeral bed and the jars and things underneath that Joseph called different things <laughs> were just Coptic jars where you put the organs in when someone's buried. So it mm. was just a plain household funerary text. Mm. And it was lost for a while. The, the museum that had bought it was the Chicago Museum and it burnt down. And so it was thought to have been lost, which got the church out of a lot of trouble oh, because wow. you couldn't find it. Yes. Bugger me, later on they yep. actually found it again yes. and then that exposed the, the, yes. the papyri to a proper translation yes. and has nothing to do with anything yes. that yep. he talked about. Can I mention one, one thing I came across in my brief reading um, they claim, it, it, you know, the church claims to be following uh, the teachings of Jesus, <laughs> and yet the. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because Scott is surreptitiously reaching for a beer, and and that sound you heard was of a zipper of his esky as he as he as he gets into the beer. I'll so just, I, uh, it, undo it and put it, it down again. It shall just I? made me laugh. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, we're, we're, seeing we're interrupting at this Would point. Would you like one? Uh, I'm still no okay. Worries. No worries. But when you're laughing, don't go too close to the microphone. No so, yeah. So, sorry, 12th man. Continue. That's all right. Look, what I came across was a reference to the uh, – there's it, a bit of an inconsistency because they claim to be uh, followers of Jesus Christ, and yet in the Book of Mormon there's a story of the migration of um, some ancient Israelites – to the Americas in roughly 600 BC. Now, that predates the 
you know, alleged birth of Jesus by around 600 years. It's a, it's a bit hard to, uh, to, um, to, to Well, that's to a whole world of crazy, it? that whole story. Yeah. Yes, they believe that the American Indians' ancestors um, came from the Middle East. So that was the 600 BC. Yeah, there was also an earlier group called the Jaredites that came in magic submarines, wooden <laughs> submarines, before that. But in the Book of Mormon, Jesus actually, after his resurrection in Judea, came to the Americas and appeared to them. So that's how they got to know Jesus Christ. He became their saviour over there because he visited them, Mm. whether he used a space-time continuum or flew there isn't explained, except that he arrived there fully grown and preached to everybody and converted everybody to Christianity. And isn't he expected to settle down somewhere in Missouri after the second coming? Oh, that's another whole crazy story. Independence, Missouri is where they believe that the Garden of Eden was Yes, and that uh, that will be the headquarters of the church when Jesus returns, Mm. despite the fact that it's owned by other people who, for reasons that are fairly obvious, won't sell it to the Mormons. (laughs) Yes. The Mormons have got more money than you can imagine, oh. but it, they can't get it. Was at it, any price. I think, was that no. a breakaway group, I think, who own that and they're quite bitter with them? Is it right? Well, you're talking about the reorganised Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> Possibly. Which is now called the Community of Christ. And, yes. Um, they don't have as much money as the, right, the but, Salt Lake Mormons. But, but do they own that site of the old no. Garden of Eden? Oh, okay. No. I must be confused. It, there's, there's various plots around the place. Yeah. Some are owned, some are not. Mm. But if anything ever becomes available, the Mormons will buy it straight away. Yeah. So in America, there have been a lot of offshoots, um, breakaway sects. Um, yes. In Australia, any breakaways or pretty solid? Yeah, the reorganised church has been here for quite a while. It's right. very small, very right. ineffective. Dying right. off. Right. Okay. So um, so you're really like, keeping you busy. And if they Very tell busy. you to do something, you'll do it. And, Pretty much. And if they say, you know what, we need you to rock up to this Liberal Party meeting in Victoria and vote for this guy over here when we tell you to, um, no problem getting a group of Mormons to do that? Never seen it myself. Right. Okay. I've never seen any political instruction. Right. Um I, that's, I mean, I haven't been a Mormon for over 20 years. Yeah. But I'm not aware of any I want to uh, be able push to... like that. However, mm-hmm. the, the way the Mormon church operates is very much prosperity gospel. Like if you live a good life, God will bless you. You'll have lots of money. Mm-hmm. If you're not wealthy, you maybe need to look at yourself and see what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Because if if you were doing all the right things, God would be giving you plenty of money. Mm. And that's pretty much Liberal Party philosophy. Mm. Is there an equivalent of a priest? The the high ups in Salt Lake, the full-time professional leaders are paid by the church. But in a local ward, there's a bishop. He's not paid. All the priesthood holders that help run things are not paid. Right. Okay. Their expenses are covered if they have to travel, mm-hmm. but they're not paid. It's a really cheap church to run. <laughs> yep. You get 10% of everybody's income yep. and you only pay out for the big guys. And and that, that money, say, collected here uh, is used locally or goes overseas or you have no idea? The church is not transparent. Mm. The church does not publish 
adequate financial records. It's better in Australia than most countries because we do actually require them to give some general figures. But very little of our money escapes to go overseas. Mm. It's used here to build chapels, to build temples, those sorts of buildings, to run programs, printing, stationery, you know, the utilities on the, the church itself. Mm. Um, so that's that's where the money goes. But the church is enormously wealthy. The American church just generates billions of dollars and uh, keeps a lot of it. It's not a very um, charitable church in terms of helping other people. It will help its own people, but it won't help too many other people. I was going to ask you, because you mentioned um, money going to help the poor. Is that the poor within the church or yeah, as long as they the qualify. poor generally? They're, if you're short of money, you can go to your bishop and say, look, I really can't pay my bills. And the first thing is, have you paid your tithing? Right. If you've paid your tithing, you might get some of it back. If you haven't paid your tithing, well, you're not a good member, you don't deserve it. Right. Bloody hell. Mm, That's pretty much harsh. If you want to be a good member of the church, you must pay your tithing. That's one of the absolute minimum standards required. So how do you pay it? What's the mechanism for paying it? Well, when I was paying it, you would write a cheque or you would put money in an envelope, fill out a little donation slip and give it to the bishop or one of his mates. E- each Sunday? Is every it? Sunday, every right. time you got paid. Right. Wow. Right. And, and would Nowadays, they... I think they probably take pay pass or yeah. <laughs> you can just do electronic transfers. Yeah. And, and would they... But they, they keep meticulous records of who gives what. Right. And once a year, the bishop interviews you. And interviewing is just part of the Mormon life. You're always being interviewed. But if you're interviewed for your tithing settlement once a year, he knows how much you've given. Mm. And he asks you that question, have you paid a full tithe? Mm. Then you try and work out why it isn't exactly 10% of your pay slip from the boss. Is, is that a nervous time for most Mormons? Or are they, or have people really been fairly honest? Yeah, I paid me 10%. And is if it- you declare it's a full tithe, he has to accept that. Right. But even if you're a pensioner, they want 10% of it. Right, right. Do they want 10% of the gross or 10% of net after tax? Gross. When I was in there, it was the gross. It wasn't Bloody the net. Hell. But right. tithing is a tax deduction now. The church managed yeah. to get that put really? through. Yeah. So your tithing is a tax deduction. Well, it's a donation to a church. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Wow. They're very, much, they're very in tune with the government in terms of uh, mm. uh, complying with the laws of charitable funds. And as you know, yeah. uh, as per Malcolm Turnbull's, Charitable trust it. You give at least you have to give no more than five percent to good works to qualify as tax exempt. Right. So okay. So the church spends its money on itself and still qualifies. <laughs> yep. So um, there's there's a, there's a hierarchy there, and yes. so what what hierarchy do you move through, and what's available to men as opposed to women? Well, when I was first baptized, I was granted what's called the Aaronic priesthood. And that's the lesser priesthood because I'm did just say, a newbie. Did you say ironic priesthood? Ironic, yeah. as ironic. in Aaron, the son of Moses, oh, right, or the yes. brother of Moses, sorry. Mm. And that has three offices in it. There's deacon, teacher, and priest. And so when a young man is, bapt- is given the priesthood at 12, he's baptised at 8, given the priesthood at 12, he becomes a deacon. At 14, he becomes a teacher. At 16, a priest. Mm-hmm. When he's 18... 
he can be, be given the Melchizedek priesthood, which is the higher priesthood. And that has three offices, or has until recently. That was elder, 70, and high priest. And when you go on a Mormon mission, you have to have that Melchizedek priesthood, and you're an elder, which is why they call them elder yes. X, elder Y. That's They're not old. Yep. Because they're an elder. They're an elder because that's an office within the priesthood that they hold. Right. So did you make it to an All elder? All the way. Right. Okay. Yeah. Very congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't get a badge or a special suit to wear, but that's uh yeah, right. that's that's where you end up. And leaders generally have to be high priests. And as you um you know, get these gongs along the way, is there always a ceremony to do with it or is it The ceremony is when you're set apart Mm. by the bishop or, in the case of the higher priesthoods, by the stake president. The bishop looks after a ward and there'd be several wards congregated together to make what's called a stake, S-T-A-K-E. And that's presided by a stake president Mm. and he has a council of 12 men that help him. Mm. But they they organise the higher priesthood functions. Mm. So, you know, is it just a bunch of people with some crazy ideas who are relatively harmless. Is there anything evil These or troublesome? These are the nicest people you will meet. So there's, there's nothing sort of like the we hear about the brethren or whatever they're called, mm. and, and you it's, get the feeling that there's a bit of nastiness there. But in times of the Mormons, are we really just talking about some goofy ideas that people are prepared to swallow and it's all fairly harmless for, for the rest of us? Well, harmless is a relative term. Mm. I mean, it... It kept me poor and occupied and isolated for decades. Mm. And culturally, you can't help but still be a Mormon. Right. It's one of the things that uh, affects those who've been for a while. Uh, it comes under the heading of you can leave the church, but you can't leave the church alone. Right. And so for many of us, we still study what's going on and keep an ear out for what's happening um, because the rest of your family is still in it. Yep. But it's not like the exclusive brethren where they shun people or the Jehovah's Witnesses where they shun people. If you don't want to go to church, that's fine. They'll try and keep you in. But Mm -hmm. if you decide to go, off you go. Right. Um, And they'll still... They'll still be prepared to socialise with you, but they're too busy doing Mormon things to find the time. Possibly, if you're not in other Mormon activities with them, it's a sad thing. But if you're not a member, there are not that many reasons to socialise, even with your family. Yep. Whereas, if you are a member, you're going to dances, you're going to meetings, you're going to functions, you're going to speeches and conferences and things together. But when you're not a member, you don't attend those. Mm. So unless you create situations where you get together, you don't see them. Mm. And they don't feel bad about it because you're not a member anymore. You've, mm. you've lost the plot. Right. Yep. So uh, non-believers are going to hell? What, what happens to... Well, Mormon oh. theology is a little bit more scientific than that. Right. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried with, what, with where they're going. Part of the attraction of Mormonism is that it doesn't have heaven and hell. Right. What it has is possibilities after mm. you die. Mm. So if you're a really bad person and you commit the unpardonable sin, which is the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, 
mm-hmm. or being like God and killing people, then you will end up in outer darkness and you'll, you will be with Satan and his angels in a really bad way. So that is hell. Yeah. That's well, they they don't call it hell. A but, dark hell, rather than a fiery hell. But if you want to hell, of... that's hell. Right. If you make it past that stage, mm. there's three basic degrees of where you can go. The bottom one being telestial, which is like being the moon. There's terrestrial, which is like the earth, and the celestial, which is like the sun. So that's the way that they shade the difference between the three areas. So if you're not a good person, you'll go to Telestial. So that's where you'll hang out with the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the party people. You'd have a really good time there, but you're not going to really have a great future in front of you. Terrestrial is where the nice people of the world go to. So that's like living in a really nice city Mm -hmm. with a nice house and a car and all that sort of thing perhaps. Not, Not literally, but you get what I mean. Celestial is for the really top class fully baptised, priesthood-holding Mormons. That's where the real good guys go, and that has three degrees of glory. And to get to the top of that, you've got to be what's given what's called the second anointing, which is something I didn't even know about when I was in the church because obviously I wasn't getting there anytime soon. That's when you're actually confirmed to go to heaven on this earth, and nothing you do can take it away from you. Right. And they're the guys that get their own planets and their own eternal families, and they become like God, starting to create their own spirit children. And now that sort of theory was in the Book of Mormon or in the Moses? More in the Book of Moses. Right. There you go. I never knew about the Book of Moses till. No, neither did I, not until tonight. Hmm. It's it's in a a section of books called the Book of Mormon. Sorry, the, the Pearl of Great Price. Right. There's the book of Abraham, the book of Moses, and so forth and so on. Right. right. So I may have confused them between Abraham and Moses, but they're, they're all that kind of thing. They're, they're said to be translations of ancient scripts that only Joseph Smith was able to get to. Yes. It's probably more the book of Abraham. And, and so these, these scripts, these translations that he came up with were to increase the type of theology that he was starting to develop and that Brigham Young carried on after his death. Mm. So, um, for example, the Catholic Church, anybody could rock up on a, on a Sunday and, and Hillsong, for example, visitors are more than welcome. Yep. Can I, can I as a visitor rock up to a Mormon church on a Sunday? Well, you'll welcome? stick out very easily. <laughs> yes. Because they'll all be so. wearing white shirts and ties and you probably yeah. won't. Right. So you can always tell the non-members in the congregation because they're the guys that don't have the white shirts. Okay, on. but they are there occasionally. Yes, right. I mean, I'm quite welcome to go back any time I want and sit. Right, but I can't take the sacrament. Right, and I can't give a speech. Right, so we could actually go to a, yes. a ceremony. More than welcome, but right. every missionary in there will, you know, locate you with his radar. Right, and he will say, "Hi, right, I'm Elder Such and Such. Yes, welcome." Yes. If I had a microphone with me and said, I'm, I'm a podcaster, can I record our conversation? How would that go down? Not at all. Right. Yeah. No, they don't like people recording no. what they're saying or doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mind you, with mobile phones, how can they stop it? Yeah. Okay. And would it be interesting or would it be dull to be sitting in a ceremony? you find it really dull. Right. Okay. 
<laughs> you don't want to think about that. You don't want to think about that. This no. is not Hillsong. This is not get up there with the guitars and the drums mm. and the, the waving of the arms. You can't wave your arms in a Mormon meeting. They will mm. think you're having a fit right. and call mm. an ambulance. Right. It's very saporific. It's very um, calming, those sorts of things. Mm. Right. And it's, it's meant to be a calm Right. Where, whereabouts is it in this neck of the woods? Where's the, um, or where? Well, there's one. Well, you don't have to just Google. Right. Top of okay. the cliffs at Kangaroo Point. That's a temple. Uh-huh. That's a different story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is you have to be a certain rank of member to go in the temple. Is that right? You have to have a ticket. Okay. It's called a temple recommend. Right. So who gives you those? Interviewing again. Right. Yeah, right. When you want to go to the temple, um, which is beautiful building, and it's for special Mormon ceremonies. Mm. Um, one thing many people don't know is that Joseph Smith was a master mason and really? a lot of church mm. members, leaders are masons. He was seriously a master mason? Yes, 33rd degree. So why did he... Um, but they didn't tell us that in the 70s when I joined. Why didn't he make a living cutting stones instead of looking at them? Oh, well, Masons have got nothing to do with cutting stones. That's that's a false belief. That's the ancient Masons. Yeah, that was my idea of a Mason. Was someone no, the, the modern Masonry was started in the 17th century. So what sort of thing did Joseph Smith do as a Mason? What sort of well, thing? Well, Masons did... have... The idea of being a Mason was that wherever you went, if you met a Mason, you would recognise a Mason and you could say that if he's in good standing, he's a regular guy, you can trust him, and when he speaks, he speaks truth. And it was also, in in the ancient days, it was a way of keeping their craft um, to themselves so that if you didn't know the, the Mason's special greetings, you knew that guy was an imposter. But if he was a master mason, you knew that you could trust him to build your cathedral because he knew how to work. So the Mormon temple has handshakes and signs and tokens that you must possess in order to get to those high standards of heaven. Right. <laughs> so if you don't have them, you're going to miss out. So you get the invite to the temple and along the way you've got to shake some hands with a secret handshake. Well, the first thing to do is approach your bishop and say, I'd like to go to the temple. He'll say, okay, well, we'll have an interview. Use those interviews again. (laughs) And in the interview he'll say, do you pay your tithing? Yes. Are you morally pure? Do you masturbate? Have you had sex with anyone other than your wife? Um, Are you honest in all your business dealings, et cetera, et cetera? If you can tick off all the boxes... He'll sign you in. Right. Then you take that temple recommend and go to the state presidency. And they'll ask you the same questions, but this guy's like, he's top of the tree. So you're getting a bit nervous if any of those things aren't quite right. Like if right. if you've been masturbating right. between the time you saw the bishop and the yes. time you see him. Yes. He'll know he'll just know. by looking at you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if he signs you in... How can they tell? <laughs> the spirit of discernment. Yeah. He'll sign your little temple recommend and then you've got a ticket to go to the temple. So you turn up at the temple with your ticket and they do the data entry thing to make sure it's not a forgery right. and in you go. And do you have to shake your hand with a secret handshake? Well, there are various ceremonies performed in the temple and when I was a member, like you could not talk about it outside the temple. Mm. You're... You couldn't talk to your bishop about it. He wouldn't tell you anything about it. 
there'd be various allusions to it, but there would be nothing specific spoken. So the first time I went to the temple, it was like, what the hell have I got myself into? It is just bizarre. Is this, um, I'm not sure if any of you are aware of the television show called Big Love. It's about Mormon polygamists. And um, there's a scene in that where the guy's first wife goes off to the temple and she uses the she uses the pass of her sister or something like that to go into the temple. And they are building themselves up and building themselves up with prayers and blah, 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 blah. And then they get to the end and they're all sitting in this room completely white and one of the women just breaks down and says, this is what it'll be like when we're in heaven. And is that the type of thing that goes on there? Or yes. Not? Right. Yep. When you first go through, you get your temple garments, which is the magic underwear that people talk about. Mm-hmm. And you must wear that for the rest of your life. Right. Yep. You're wearing it now? No. <laughs> now, the thing about that underwear is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was that you could often see through somebody's business shirt what sort of under whether they had this undergarment on, mm. and so in Salt Lake City, for example, people could just spot. If their, you don't their, have their a t-shirt type top, yep. If you got like an ordinary bonds, yes, you can tell. You can tell. Yes. Oh. So the the it, it's changed over the years, of course, mm. like everything else. So originally it was neck to knee. Yep. Right down to your wrists, right down to your ankles. Yep. Full covering, men and women. Yep. Of course, as fashions changed, so did the garments. Now they basically consist of two pieces. The pants go to the knee and then you have like a short sleeve top. The the ladies have like a little camisole that they wear. Mm -hmm. But it has four markings on it. There's a square on the left breast. There's a compass on the right breast. There's a slit over the belly and there's a mark on the knee, mm. and they all have their own special significance. A long time ago, I was in Salt Lake City when I was a young man of 19 backpacking the world, and this guy Could told me... a missionary me, then. I, That's I, the I, right I, age. Yeah, I was not in the reverse, but uh, apparently there was a brisk trade in fake underwear because non-believers who had to do business in Salt Lake City would, would wear it, and... Um, that it'd be the sort of assumption, oh, he's got that underwear, he's at, at this level of the church, whatever. So yeah, That's Mormon yeah. radar. If they right. see somebody wearing something like yeah. that, yeah, he's a brother. Yes, yeah. So um, easily, the system's easily fooled to some extent. Yeah, well, mm. you know, their attitude would be, well, mm. you can cheat all you like, but it's not going to fool God, so yeah. Yeah. go for it. Yeah. Is there a historical sort of basis or origin to this underwear? No, except the church sells it. Mm. Yeah, but when you did it start? It from there? You know, like, what's the history of it in the church? It's difficult to say because it was introduced early on and it's meant to keep people pure. Like, if you're wearing that kind of underwear, you're not going to be easily jumping into somebody else's bed and doing the wrong thing because you've got the magic underwear on. Is it hard to get off? Unless, of course, well, it was originally, of course, right. because it was neck to knee. Right. Unless, of course, you're Joseph Smith when you're knocking off your neighbour's wife, aren't you? Mm. Mm. Well, there yeah. is that. Yeah. Mm. So, so when you first walk into the temple, that's one of the first things you do. You receive your um, magic underwear because you must wear that from then yeah. on. And then there's a, uh, a ceremony called the endowment, which is really a, it used to be a, a live play. Now it's a film where they talk about the way 
pre-existence, this life, the future life, tells you all about that. Uh, and then you move on towards a curtain and behind the curtain is a veil which is your entrance into the higher degrees of heaven. So this is all a symbolic walk that you take, understanding how the world works and then how you get from that world into the celestial. And so they teach you there about the handshakes and how to do the first sign and the second sign and so forth. Then you go to the curtain and there's a person on the other side of the curtain and there are holes in the curtain and they put their arms through and you put your arms through right. and they whisper in your ear and so forth and so on. And when you've passed all the the, uh, the necessary signs and tokens, they part the veil and you walk through and there you are into what they call the celestial room, which is a beautifully appointed room. It looks like a conference centre in a Marriott hotel. So you sit there and just bask in the glory and then you get bored and then you go home. I was going to say, it must be exhilarating to sort of get through all that sort of stuff. Well, the first time I did it, when we went to uh, New Zealand in those days to get married, I was just, I couldn't believe, I thought, I know I like going to church and all the rest of it, but this is just bizarre. I just got to put this behind me oh, and move really? on. Right. It was so- one of the, what, They don't do it now, but in those days you have to make um, covenants about how you'll be obedient and that mm. you won't spill the secrets in the temple. Mm. And you had to put your thumb and run it across your throat like a knife, mm -hmm. if you did, and another one across your belly. Right. And so you're virtually saying, if I do spill the beans, mm. I want to be killed. Yeah. Wow. They've, they've taken that out now. It's, again, culturally not appropriate mm. and as things have modernised, yep. not felt to be a good idea. So the sense of community must be so strong Very with strong. this sort of thing. Well, that, you call mm. everybody brother. Mm. You're all your brothers and sisters, mm. and it's a marvellous thing. But mm. uh, And to know that if you've paid your tithing, if something goes wrong, you yep. can call on a whole community who will, yep. who will come out. And it works like that. Mm. You've got to understand most of the people in it are not aware they're in a cult, which, of course, is the classic definition of a cult. No one in the cult realises they're in a cult. They think everybody outside the cult is in some devil cult mm. because we know the truth and they don't. So that's that's pretty much how you live and you're only associating with them. Most of your life is involved with people who believe the same thing. That's so really easy to isolate yourself as I did. So having left, is, it, is the loss of that community one of the biggest sort of painful yeah, parts about it? For a while. Right. Absolutely. Mm. But you've got to make new friends who don't believe in silly mm. stories and rituals. And that's worked out pretty well. So I'm, I'm mm. happier now than I've ever been. And I get to all day Sunday, I can watch football. Right. I can, uh, <laughs> I can you know, have the occasional drink. I can yeah. do pretty much whatever I want. I don't feel that I've got to turn up somewhere. Can, can I ask what was the catalyst uh, in that you know, brought you to deciding to leave? There was no catalyst. It was just a general, what am I doing here? This okay. is a waste of my life. Right. And then I went off the rails in a major way right. and they decided they didn't want me anymore. Right. So and they excommunicated me. Seriously. Which, oh, means, really? which means I've had all my priesthoods withdrawn and so I will be not welcome in, right. the, in the hereafter. So it wasn't one little thing, it's just a gradual realisation. and and Well, I'm an educated, time. hopefully mm. intelligent mm. person and then mm. when you start getting something that doesn't make sense or you feel is wrong mm. or isn't supported by scientific. Mm. Um, 
then it becomes difficult. For instance, the, the Mormons do believe that the American Indians are Jews, right. that they came yeah. over from the Middle East. Yep. Yep. Now, their DNA tells you that they're Asian, yes. that they came across the Bering Strait right. and migrated down through Americas. The Book of Mormon also says there are that there, during this time around the 600 BC to about 1000 AD, that there were horses and mm. steel and chariots, all sorts of things that were Middle Eastern, but there's been absolutely no archaeological evidence. Mm. No one's ever found a sword. No one's ever found a, a horse of that vintage. Now, horses did exist in America, but they died out thousands and thousands of years ago. Yeah. And the only horses that have been there since were brought by the Spanish and, and yes. others. During the time the Book of Mormon was said to have worked, there were no horses, there were no chariots. They didn't build roads like that. Yeah. Yeah. And modern science, you know, modern archaeology and genetic science, wouldn't you expect that to lead to more people leaving the church? Well, you've got to understand that the guys who run the church are not young men. Current president of the church is ninety-four years old. Right, Russell Nelson. Mm. So he was born in nineteen twenty-four. By the time he was sixteen, it was nineteen forty. Mm. His worldview was formed by then. Yeah. They still can't. They don't like the internet. The leaders, and because it's it's like the Supreme Court in the United States, it's a lifetime appointment once you mm. get in. Mm. So unless you get in when you're about fifty and have like 40 years there, most of these guys, they're pretty old when they get in, mm. and then, then they hang around till they die. The last president, uh, Thomas Monson, he was demonstrably suffering either Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm. He had moments of lucidity, but a lot of the time he just wasn't around. Mm. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't retire him. They kept him going as the president till he actually passed away. And his successor is 94. He's only been there like a year or two. So so these guys' worldview is quite different. So Mm. science to them is just a fad. Mm. The internet, they in recent talks, they just said that, you know, science and secular thinking, not helpful. Not helpful. You should believe in the gospel. Believe what we teach you. If you follow your leaders... And, and obey them. Mm. That's what righteousness is. Yeah. Knowing the truth, not so much. Now, one of the one of their leaders actually said uh, a few years ago, the truth is not always helpful. Mm. <laughs> That's the kind of mindset the leaders have. Mm. So you can imagine how that distills down to everybody else. Yeah. And if you don't follow the leaders, you won't be a leader. Mm. So if you want to stay in the group, you've got to suck it up and go mm. along with them. So things like your secular party and so mm. forth, anathema to them. Mm. And that's when I first joined the church, it was logical. It started to unwind. And as I learned more about the world and science, mm. I started thinking, well, no, they're not, there is no archaeological evidence for the Book of Mormon. They spent a lot of money trying to find it, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but they that's haven't found any. They can't say this city in the Book of Mormon is that city now. Mm. So what year would that have been that you you sort of broke away? Late 90s. Right, which was really early days of the internet at that Yes, and the internet's killed them ever since because mm. there's so much information now. You mm. just use Dr. Google mm. and anything, any type of Mormon doctrine, and there'll be lots of things against it. And that's why they say to people, 
Don't look on the internet for answers. Mm-hmm. Read the scriptures. Read the books produced by the church. Mm-hmm. Look at the church website. Don't go looking at anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's not f- working. There have been a few books published as well in recent years um, debunking a lot of the um, beliefs and claims made. Well, one of the problems the church has had, it has something called the Church History Department, and they stocked it originally with non-historians. So they went along with whatever they were told. Then they started hiring professional historians. And what do historians want to look at? Evidence. Mm. Source Mm. material. Mm. So they didn't want to get the book that said this is what Joseph Smith said. They said, well, where's the original record of what Joseph Smith said? Mm. And that's when they started turning up the four versions of the first vision, the rock, Mm. um, early church journals. These are being held in families. I mean, one of the problems for the Mormon church is it's only a couple of hundred years old. Mm. So its records are quite available. Mm. And people then started going down these little rabbit holes and keeping going down those rabbit holes and then started putting together historical conclusions mm. which the leaders didn't like. So they sacked mm. a whole bunch of their historians and now they have people running it they call apologetics, which is a different term than apology. It's people that make up things for the church to explain the church doctrine, such yeah. as, okay, the book of Abraham isn't actually a translation of that scroll. It's an inspiration yes. and that's how he did it. Mm. So they're finding new ways to explain mm. you know, things that are obviously false. So um, what's happening now in the inside the Mormon church? Is there a lot of young people that are just abandoning it? or Pretty much, yeah, because they've all got a phone. Yeah. And access to the internet. Yep, and friends, and they socialise on the, the internet. Mm. So they're able to see things that their elders don't want them to see. Mm. And when you tell a child, don't look at that, you can imagine what they get a look happens. at it. Yeah, are there Mormon schools? There was a church school in New Zealand, but that's closed. So, the, if Mormon kids are mixing with non-Mormon kids, yes, then yeah, they don't run schools here. They did yeah. run schools in America for a while, and particularly for Native Americans, um, on the basis that these were our Lamanite brothers. But no, now they're not. One of the strange things is that a lot of Tongans, Maoris, Samoans. They believe that they're Lamanites. Isn't that bizarre? The church does teach them that they are descendants of the Lamanites in America. In fact, they're not, of course. They don't come from America. They do come from Asia. Exactly. So um, it's it's a very popular church within the South Pacific, but for all the wrong reasons. Do you you have any theory on why it would be so popular in in the South Pacific? Well, because they're told they're God's chosen people. Mm. Everybody wants to be God's chosen Cause, people. Because the Mormon missionaries got there first before the other They were very missions. successful in the early days in converting a mm. lot of um, South Pacific people mm. into mm. the church, and they were different to the Catholics and the Protestants that mm. came in. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Well, they're a fascinating group. But, certainly are. Yeah, yeah, and... While they weren't politically active in your time, it seems that they are now, and I think the statistic we were quoting was 13%. percent yeah, versus 0.3% of the population. Administrative positions in the, in the Liberal Party in Victoria were Mormons as opposed to a, f- a fraction of 1% in, in the population. So They are very politically active in the United States and mm. have been for a number of decades. Mm. They're great proponents against gay marriage, mm. against marijuana use against any kind of liberal 
policy. Mm. They're very strong in the Republican Party. Mm. And in Utah, it, it's it's a very red-hot Republican state. Mm. And um, it has people like Oren Hatch, who's a church member. He's, a, he's an awful man, but he, get, he gets re-elected all the time. Uh, I think he's retiring. What do you mean so, by an awful man? He's, he's not a very Christian person. If you look at his voting record and the things that he proposes, mm. um, these people are against Obamacare. They're mm. against universal health care and helping the poor in the way that we would look after people here in Australia. Mm. That's the core of the Republican Party and, and the Mormon church is right behind them. Mm. They don't support the Democrats. Well, famously, there was a presidential candidate. Mitt uh, Romney. Yeah. Um, you know, his family are Mormons right the way back. Mm. Um, and they're, they're a polygamous family, his, uh, his ancestors. Yeah, interesting. And um, he's a very wealthy man yeah. through the prosperity gospel. God, God must love him because he's mm. really rich. Yeah. And uh, he almost became president, yeah. except um, he stumbled at the last, I think, as you remember, um, some nasty things he said to people, so he didn't get the nomination. Mm. But he may go again. His, He's still young enough and still rich enough. His father-in-law was an atheist. Yes, and, he, and they baptised him mm, into the church. Posthumously. Yeah, let's not yes. get into that one. Right, right. Could be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just briefly, come on. This, this is where baptizing. Part of the ceremonies in the temple is that mm. in the basement below ground, they have a giant big like clamshell bowl that's supported on the back of a number of statues of ox, oxen. Right. And in there you go in and you baptise people that are dead. Mm. The idea being that they didn't get a chance in this life and that would be awful. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Like if you mm. didn't become a Christian, like if you died in Africa in 1725, you probably wouldn't have heard about Joseph Smith. Mm. Or anything else. Mm. So the idea was we'll track down all these people's birth records and we'll baptise them mm. all the way through. Now, one fellow I went, uh, met in the church when I first joined, he'd baptised his family tree back to the 1100s because he mm. was born in Switzerland and they had records right the way back. So he baptised everybody on that chain. So you witnessed that sort of baptism? Yeah. And had... With nobody to dunk in the water, what do they do? Oh, no, they have people that stand in. Now, that's normally yeah. done by the youth. So when they're, um, when they're worthy as young men and young women over 16, they go to the temple and one of them becomes the baptizer and one becomes the baptizee. And right. they'll do about five or six people. Right. They'll, they'll say their names and then down they go. So yes. they're kind of surrogates for the yes, dead Yes, stand-ins people. for them. Yes, and, you know, it's a very spiritual time for the young kids as part of sucking them into the whole cult thing mm. that we're doing this for the dead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this sort of elaborate paraphernalia and all the ritual, I mean, that would have a, a certain power to, to, yes. to sacralise the whole experience. Yes. And the older people do the genealogical research. Like if you've retired, often mm. they'll send you on what's called a genealogical mission, mm. which means you're being sent somewhere to copy records. Now, when I lived in uh, overseas, I met couples that were being sent from America to go to the births, register of births, mm. marriage and deaths in, a, in that particular country. Mm. And they were there photographing and copying old records. Mm. And then they'd send them off to Salt Lake City where they're digitised 
mm-hmm. and then they would be sent, those lists of names would be sent to uh, temples around the world and they'd start baptising them. Yeah. Because then they'd be a person of record because once they're on the records of the church, that's it. Yeah. So, so then they could um, say that person, if they want to in the next life, they can take advantage of that baptism and mm-hmm. become an exalted person. So someone like me that grew up not around Mormons or anything like that, but I knew who they were because they used to knock on the door, mm-hmm. um, would I be baptised posthumously or not? Yep. I would be. Yep. Even though I knew about Joseph Smith and all that sort of stuff yep. but rejected him. Well, when you when you meet him in the next life, you'll change your mind, won't you? Oh, of course, <laughs> yes. Of course. I forgot about that, yeah. 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 It all presupposes that there is something beyond this life yeah. and therefore, you, you, you know, maybe you should become a Jew and a Catholic and a Mormon just to make sure that when you turn up, you've got you've got the right credentials. <laughs> if they're so concerned about baptizing people posthumously, what's their attitude to all the literally billions of people in human history who've never had that opportunity? There'll be a lot of work to do when the Savior comes again mm. to get them all. To get them all. Mm. Yeah, it's a big job. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Wow. Well, Brother Joseph, that was a great rundown on the, a great insight into wow. the life of an Intriguing. Australian Mormon. It's, yeah. Yeah. Thank it's you, really, really good. It's a real good. good. Thank win- you very much, Brother Joseph. It's yeah. a good window into another world. Yeah. And um, is, yeah. you convinced me not to attend the Sunday service. I'll just give that a big miss, I think. But you're a candidate for posthumous baptism, don't forget. Yes, I Yes, am. I've taken yeah. a note of all your yeah. names and they'll yeah. be sent to Salt Lake ready yes. to uh, be actioned once we get notice yeah. of death. Yes. Oh, good. Thank you very much for that because yes. I'd love to get out of hell as quickly as possible. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Terrific. Thank you again, Brother Joseph. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for tuning in to what was an unusual but enlightening episode. <laughs> very of, unusual but yeah. also very enlightening, yeah. And uh, we'll have a podcast of some sort for you next week. Bye for now. Uh, bye now. And just before we go, I've got to thank our beer sponsors. Uh, thank you very much, Was, for the Bolter XBA, which was very nice, by the mm, way. And good. thank you very much to Landon Hardbottom mm. for another Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. Yeah. And if you'd like to count yourself amongst the beer sponsors, please make contact. Actually, I should thank the patrons as well. Sean, Alex, Janelle, Craig, John, uh, Sting TV, Landon Hardbottom, Wayne Oyame, Brett, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kate, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robert, Dean, Rod, Pale, Maddock Man, Was, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, uh, Less is More, and the Two Kens. It's quite a list. Well done. Good on you guys. Yeah, well done. Thank you very much. We appreciate if, that. If you're not on the list, time to sign up and join yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> and just do a little bit of tithing. You know, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Bye for now. Bye now. Thank you. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone. 
and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon, and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from a dollar fifty Australian to I think ten dollars and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.